Well, excited to be with you this morning and uh, ask that you open your Bibles to Esther, the book of Esther in the Old Testament, if you would today. One of the very briefest but most powerful books in the Bible. So it's in the Old Testament from 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, and then Ezra and Nehemiah, and then the book of Esther. By the way, we have a, a great group of students right over here sitting in this front section right there. Some of them stayed up all night at a lock-in. How many of you are glad you're not staying up all night at a lock-in? Say amen. I mean, but they are brave, and then even more so, they're brave to be here on Sunday morning. Let's give them a hand. Great job. Have a great night. Praying for you today. The book of Esther is uh, one of those amazing books in the Bible. Strangely, the name of God is not in the book of Esther. It's one book in the Bible where God's name is not mentioned per se. But God is all over the book of Esther. He's working in amazing ways through the life of a 16-year-old orphan in ancient Persia who was a Jewish girl placed in the most difficult of circumstances. Today, I want to look at the life of Esther for just a few moments, and uh, we'll start at the very beginning of the book of Esther, chapter 1, verse 1, and the best way for you to be able to stay with us today in this vast time of covering the entire book in many ways and the life of Esther in a more detailed way is to have your Bible open and walking with me through this today. So hold your Bible open. Let's stand together and turn to Esther chapter 1, verse 1. Esther chapter 1, verse 1. The name of the message is Surprising Times, People, and Events. Our surprise series is all about how God shows up in the most surprising time. It's about how God shocks us sometimes by what he does when we think all hope is lost, when we think there's no good thing happening. God demonstrates what he's up to. He often uses someone that's the least likely person in the nation to be used. And in this case, it's this young girl whose name is Esther. So let's pick up the story. We'll read a number of verses to help give the background to the story, tell a little bit of the story, and then we'll look at the principles in the life of Esther. Esther chapter 1, verse 1. Now the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. So we're looking at an ancient Persian king who rules over about 25 million people. In fact, the city of Babylon, which is mentioned often in the Old Testament, probably has 200,000 residents at this time. And Ahasuerus was a powerful, powerful military conqueror and king. Then look down at verse 10. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded uh, Mehuman, Bizra, Habana, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zithar, and Carcass. I call these the seven unmentionable names in the Bible. In the presence of King Ahasuerus to bring Queen Fasti to the king with her royal crown in order to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. So already, this pagan king is parading in front of others the beauty of his wife. Verse 12. But King Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. So we have that first setting of the scene. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. His counselors say this to him about that event. Let the king appoint officers in all of the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa the citadel under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given to them. Now, ladies, today when you read this text, realize this is not a command to 
husbands to let their cosmetics be given to them. This is not a, an excuse for shopping, in other words. I want you to know that. <laughs> let their cosmetics be given to them, and let the young women who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. And there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shemai, the son of Kish, the Benjamite, who had carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Jeconiah, the king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. So this is part of the Jewish people who are in exile to Persia, and they have a large group of them. Verse 7. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther. This is the subject of the story. The daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure, was lovely to look at, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So that is a brief depiction of what's unfolding here. Verse 17. Throughout this beauty contest that this pagan king has, he chooses Esther. It says in verse 17, The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Now imagine that for just a few moments, being 16 years of age, being a young Jewish girl who's an orphan in a pagan country and being selected to be the queen based on her beauty. But not only that, the Bible mentions her poise and, uh, and we see her wisdom also throughout this particular passage. Now look with me in chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. There was a man named Haman who hated Mordecai who had adopted Esther because Mordecai would not bend the knee to him, would not bow to him. The Bible says in verse 5, And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews. So now we have not only hatred and jealousy, but we have racism and anti-Semitism here. The people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, all right? Now look down in chapter 4, verse 13. As this plot unhatches, and as Haman wants to put the Jews to death, God uses Esther in a huge way, verse 12. They told Mordecai what Esther had said to him. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days or nights. And I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though this is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Famous lines, famous words, powerful words of faith and confidence and trust. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, thank you for this amazing book, this amazing young woman. Even more so, how amazing you are, God. In the middle of the darkest times of our life, you shine the brightest through some who are the least expected to lead. Father, my prayer today is that we will see not only how you use people, but how people who respond to you wisely are useful in your hands. We ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Be seated if you would. This is a complicated story. This is an amazing story, actually. It's a complex story of misogyny, objectifying women, racism, anti-Semitism, love, pride, 
jealousy, anger, conspiracy. In other words, it's just another day in the life of humankind. It really is. There's all the worst that we hear about today in our world being written down as plain actions of human beings here in this day and time. Pagan nation living that way. And then in the midst of that, we have this huge threat against all of God's people, the Jews. And that threat is thwarted by how God works in the life of one young woman. It's just another way that God surprisingly delivers his people just like he does on a regular basis as you read through the Bible. You cannot read through the Old Testament without knowing of God's supernatural ability to intervene, to rescue, to deliver, to bring to safety, to bring out of trouble. In fact, a recurring theme of who God is is he is a deliverer, he is a savior, he's a rescuer. That's just who he is. So we can expect him to act that way on our behalf when things go bad. And things were going bad. When you look at this book, this passage, there are several things I want to point out. First of all, the period of troubling times. Clearly, Israel is in trouble. In verse 13, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, who by now is queen. Do not think to yourself in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. All these Jews are destined for destruction, Mordecai said. Haman has power. And he's issued a decree. And the Jews are going to be exterminated. Don't think that you can escape this by hiding somewhere. You are one of us. And of course, Mordecai's sin against Haman was just that he would not bow to Haman. Because he worshipped only the Lord Most High. And so what we have here is unfolding Haman's anger and hatred and influence, giving him the power to exterminate God's people at this particular moment. Have you ever noticed all through history and all through the Bible, there is a, an inbred, inborn, it seems, hatred against God's people? You ever notice that in history? You ever noticed how the Jews are often singled out? In one of the study Bibles that I have called the Precept Study Bible, K. Arthur, or one of his, her authors wrote this. Throughout times... People have attempted to destroy the nation of Israel, the apple of God's eyes, as the scripture calls them. Why? Because from the Jews came the covenants, the promises, the law, and the Messiah, salvation for the world. The people of God are the enemy of Satan. They are the prince of the world. The enemy of Satan, the prince of the world. And the conflict is old as Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It's as old as the original sin. Always people have opposed God's people. And we find something like that unfolding here in the book of Esther. It's a period of troubling time. Not the first time, not the last time. There will always be opposition against you as a believer. Always opposition against the Jews, God's people. But in the midst of that scenario, there's a selection of a surprising person. This is where we zero in on this young woman whose name is Esther. Look at what's said to her in verse 14 and 15 again. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. In other words, Mordecai says God's going to rescue us one way or another. And if you're quiet, God will raise somebody else up. But you have this opportunity, and he phrased it this way. Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows that you've been brought here for this time? So be ready for that. And Esther begins to reply in an incredible way. If I perish, I perish. I'm going to do what I need to do. Let me just say this. It's really amazing how God can use a 16-year-old woman in a situation like this, an orphan without family, 
It's really amazing that he could take her, place her in a high position of prominence, and allow her to stand by faith in the power of God, listening to the direction that he gives her, moving in such a way that's both redemptive and self-sacrificial, and God saves his people through this young woman whom we know as Esther. The selection process for her becoming queen is complicated in and of itself because the king, once he disposes of Vashti because she disrespected him in that way, went throughout the kingdom and selected all the beautiful young women and they were paraded before him. And out of that huge, huge operation, God allows Esther to be in that place of prominence. Now, a lot of things about the selection process that are very discouraging, but normal from a pagan king. And somehow Esther makes her way through that under that authority, realizing that God was at work in some way. And when she gets to this position, she is remarkably well prepared. Today, when we look at Esther's life for just a brief moment, I want to talk about how in the world does someone prepare for this kind of role? How does God prepare his people? How does God prepare you as an individual for the worst of the worst? How can a 16-year-old girl operate, speak, act with such courage, such conviction, such wisdom? How is it that God can use this young girl of all the people? I don't want to pose it in this way. We can, like her, be useful to God if we look at these three things that I believe God used her for. First of all, we can, like Esther, see ourselves correctly. We can see ourselves correctly. All through this book, we see pride, we see vanity, we see arrogance, we see conspiracy theories, but we do not see that in Esther. In fact, when you look at the life of Esther, there is no pride, there is no vanity, there is no independence, no selfishness, no rebellion here in any way. She saw herself placed in a family a belief system in a nation, and she honored it all. In fact, if I could describe her life as we see it in the book of Esther, she honored her family, her belief system, her nation, and her heritage. She didn't buck up against the trend. She realized that God had placed her in that important role, and she embraced it. Secondly, if we're like Esther, we can see our authorities wisely. Here's a girl that had quiet respect for the authorities placed over her. Some of those authorities were godly, like Mordecai. Some of them were not, like the pagan Persians that were over her. But she was wise in how she chose to respond to those authorities. Fifteen years ago, I did a study on Esther, and I wrote this line in the file that I have on that. And fifteen years ago, this was my thought about how unique this mindset was to be under authority wisely. I wrote, why is it we think everyone else is ignorant except ourselves? Why is it we think we're always right and everyone that God has allowed to place over us is wrong? What a problem that is today. I said that 15 years ago. I'm looking at today and I'm thinking, wow, what a real problem it is today where everyone questions everyone. Everyone has a better idea than someone else has. And yet Esther found the wisest approach to all she'd been subjected to, to be quiet, and wise, to be listening and looking for God to move in a powerful way. We don't see any evidence of abuse in Esther's life. She's not expected to do something wrong, but what she is expected to do was allow herself to be placed in an extremely influential place in life. Notice who she's under. She's under Mordecai's authority. Mordecai's authority. This is her uncle. Chapter 2, verse 10, she hears this from him. Don't tell them that you're a Jewish girl. Just go in there on your own merit. Go in there on your own uh, recognizance. Just 
you're Esther. You're not a Jew. You're not connected with the rest of the Jews. Don't tell them that because God's going to use you in a powerful way. So go in quietly. And that's exactly what she did. As a result of that, the king fell in love with her, allowed her to be the queen, and allowed her to be positioned to be something very unusual as a savior, as a deliverer. She was under Haggai, who was the eunuch. Look in chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. Everything he says to her to do. And most of the time, it's, it's operating in simplicity. Don't overdo it. Don't try to impress the king. Just be who you are. She was under circumstances wisely. She allowed all those circumstances to impact her, but she allowed herself to maintain her faith in the best possible way. The statement that characterizes her life is this, and who knows whether you've not attained royalty for such a time as this. Be very careful about what you do. Let me just make this statement. It's a huge statement. One is always wise when they listen to those God has placed in their lives. It's always good for you to have counsel. It's always good for people to speak into your life. It's always good for you to look for people to place yourself under in spiritual authority or in family authority that will be able to lead you in the right way, in the good way, in the biblical way. One is wise when they listen to the people around them. She saw our authorities wisely, but we also are wise like her when we see our God accurately. Here's what she saw. She saw that God was an amazing God who was able to deliver her and able to do what no one else thought might happen. I read this statement this last week. I love it. Faith is believing God is who he says he is and that he will do what he said he would do. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. God has promised to rescue Israel. God has promised to take care of the Jews. God has promised to use her in a powerful way. And she trusted him for that. She looked to him to do that. You know, when you're walking by faith in God like that, you're looking to him for everything. For example, you're looking to him for direction. Basically, Esther was saying, if I've been placed in this place, God's got me here for a reason. And if he's got me here for a reason, I'm going to ask him to direct my steps and direct my words to do everything I need to know to take the next step forward. She looked to God for direction. That's why Mordecai says, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from another place. God will use you if you will let him use you. Let me just say this to you today. Don't miss out on God using you powerfully. Look to him for direction. Let him guide your steps. We all have our thoughts. We all want to go a certain way. But the wisdom doesn't come from having our own idea about things. Wisdom comes when we let the Lord direct our steps. Remember what it says in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. I'm telling you, the hardest lessons I've ever had to learn in life is to learn to not lean on my own understanding, to step back from what I understand about the situation and let God show me later on. And usually, as I look back, hindsight is far more 2020 than foresight is. I can't see what God's doing in the future, but I can look back and I can see God's sovereignty and his faithfulness and his goodness and the way he places me in places and time, but only looking back. So what I have to do is trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding and acknowledge him in all my ways and he'll make my pathway straight. This is exactly what this young woman was doing. She was looking to God for direction. I'm gonna pause for just a moment. Let me just say, are you looking to God for direction in life? Are you looking for him to give you the next steps? Or are you looking to yourself? 
Are you looking at the way you understand life instead of the way he understands life? Can you imagine this girl having to see the picture she saw and then having to step back and say, but I've got a God who's got a better picture. He's got a better idea. He knows exactly what's going to take place and not acknowledging what she thought was true, but trusting what she knew he knew. She looked to God for direction. Don't miss that on that. Secondly, she looked to God for deliverance. She said these words, and these are famous words now, if I perish, I perish. Think about those words. If I perish, I perish. Say it with me. Try it on for size. See what it feels like. If I perish, I perish. Say it again. If I perish, I perish. God is calling me to do this. And if I die, I die. If I perish, I perish. There's a young girl, 16 years of age. She has everything to look forward to as a queen. But she's been called to help save her people. It may well be a self-sacrificial calling. It may well be a calling where she has to give her life. And so she's stepping up into the gap. And she's saying, if I perish, I perish. But I'm going to obey God. I'm going to follow God no matter what. If I perish, I perish. That's why we have to be willing to pay Whatever price, place everything on the altar for the chance to be obedient at any cost. Be ready to die for the cause. That's what Esther did. You know, when I think about that kind of self-sacrifice, I think about soldiers that gave their lives that we memorialize on a day like Memorial Day. Where they step into a cause that they may agree 100% with or they may not agree 100% with, but they step into that. And they say, I'm going to fight for my country and I, I may die. I may well be sacrificing my life and my family and my future, but I'm in this. If I perish, I perish. I think about the nobility of that. I think about the awesome power of that. That kind of dedication is incredible. Shouldn't we have that kind of dedication in following our God? whom we know never leads us in the wrong direction, whom we know never, ever puts us in a situation that is, uh, is against his will, against his ability to change. We need to trust him with that. I think about the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about the fact that if I die, I die as a way of life for him. The Garden of Gethsemane where he says, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, this cup of your wrath can pass from me, then so be it. But nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. Your will be done. The amazing ability and willingness of Jesus to sacrifice his life for us on the cross is similar to what was said here, of course, with a much bigger magnitude. So you look to God for deliverance. And she looked to God for details. I love how the details of the story fall into place. This is amazing to me. And as she looked to God for the details, we realized that we don't know exactly how God did this, but we know he came through with a series of unfortunate events for Haman. The series of unfortunate events are not unfortunate for Esther. They're not unfortunate for the Jews, but they are unfortunate for the enemy of Esther and the enemy of the Jews. Look in chapter 5 with me. The Bible says on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. Now, this woman, even though queen, could not approach the king without him inviting her, so what she was doing was risky. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter which was in his hand. 
And Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. And she begins her plan. She's thought, she's prayed, she's fasted, she's sought wisdom. And now she has this plan. Uh, this plan is that she brings Haman and the king together. And at the second dinner, she's going to reveal to the king Haman's evil plans and ask the king to make a decision. All through this process, this woman could literally be executed for approaching the king without being first asked. And so this, if I perish, I perish, is really on the line. She's really taking this step. But all this does is plays into this predetermined plan of God that he has so carefully put together which leads me to the series of unfortunate events. In fact, if you read this without an understanding of who God is, you might be tempted to say this phrase about everything that you read in the book of Esther. It just so happened. And the reason I say that is because as this dinner unfolds, it just so happened that Mordecai had earlier thwarted an uprising and it was recorded in the king's books long before. It just so happens that it was Esther that, re that requested that Mordecai's noble deed be recorded in the king's book. It just so happened about that time that the dinner was taking place that Haman, the evil one, began to grow in pride and ambition and in hatred. It just so happens the king couldn't sleep one night. And as he awoke, he asked his servants to read the king's book. And it just so happens that Haman's story was there where Mordecai had shown valor. It just so happens that the king had never rewarded him and decided to do so that night. And he wanted to seek counsel as to how to do that. It just so happens that he called out to those in the courtyard that Haman was in the court at the time to talk about his plan to hang Mordecai and exterminate the Jews. It just so happened that before he heard about that plan, the king asked Haman to honor and parade Mordecai through the city, much to Haman's dismay and embarrassment. It just so happened that this delay in time gave Esther a chance to speak to the king where she pointed out Haman's evil desire, his plot, and the king stormed out in anger. Haman fell upon Esther, the queen begging for mercy. It just so happened that as he fell upon her, the king returned at that moment and saw Haman appearing to assault the queen. While he wondered to do what to do with the evil Haman, it just so happened that one of the eunuchs saw fit to mention to the king that Haman had ordered gallows to be built upon which to hang Mordecai. And it just so happens that they were ready at the moment with a rope. It just so happens that the king said, so hang Haman on those gallows instead of Mordecai. It just so happens, turns out to be the sovereignty of God with a very carefully laid plan that he allows his enemy to play into let me just say this about your life. It never just so happens. It's always that God has a predetermined plan. He's always in control. He always is sovereign, knows exactly what he's doing, and we should never question that. Could Esther possibly, could she possibly have thought that that's what was going to happen? There's no way. So she blindly, yet by faith, and the power of a sovereign God, walked into the situation expecting God to be faithful, and he was. You and I can never plan out our future. That's why Proverbs says, trust not in your own understanding, but rather trust the Lord. We could never plan our lives out. 
We don't know tomorrow from the next day. We don't know the situations and the circumstances. We have no idea, no way of knowing. But this 16-year-old girl knew that she could trust the living God. And that's exactly what she did. And that brings us to the very last surprise, the surprise of an overwhelming victory. Because really what happened is God allowed Haman to be hung on his own gallows. And later on, all the ten sons of Haman hung there. And later on, the Jews were given permission to defend themselves. You read about it in chapter 8, verses 1, verse 11, verse 17. But I want you to look down in verse 17, if you would, because this really shows the end result of the story. And in every province and every city, wherever the king's command and edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many of the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the Jews had fallen upon them. I mean, it went from, from all the Jews being enemies to all the Jews being honored because God worked in the life of this young woman. It's really amazing. You want a lesson for this? Here's the lesson for you today. Regardless of how outlandish, how infeasible, how far behind, or how badly we're outnumbered, God will surprise us people over and over and over with his ability to intervene. No matter how high the stakes are in your health, or your finances, or your future, or your job, or your relationships, God has a way of intervening. His power has a way of bringing about victory. It's really important for us to look to him. It's really important for us to trust him. It's really important for us to not declare it over until God says it's over. God doesn't declare it's over until he's won his victory. And he's going to do that in our lives. Esther is a story of a girl who lived with such faithfulness that God saw and used her supernaturally. I couldn't help but get to 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, when I read the life of Esther as we just looked at and that verse says this, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, looking so that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Today, I would ask that you let your heart be completely his, completely. Today, I would ask that you come to the place of saying you can trust him. You can acknowledge his goodness, his power. Look at the life of Christ with me for just a few moments. Christ gave his life up on the cross for us. And in a divinely prearranged set of circumstances, he made that sacrifice so that you and I might be set free. If I perish, I perish indeed. Christ came to die. And in that sacrifice gives you an opportunity for your heart to be wholly devoted to Christ. I want you to bow your head for just a few moments. And as you think through the life of Esther, as you think through the example of this young girl, as you think through the greatness of God, I want you to think about what that means for you. I want you to think about what it means for you to trust God, for you to acknowledge Him. What does it mean for you to trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding? What does it mean for you to acknowledge Him in all your ways? And trust that He will make your pathway straight. Think through that. What kind of decision does that prompt you to make? What kind of decision does it prompt you to make in terms of coming to Christ? Today, in just a few moments, we'll, we'll make an announcement. And after our announcement, we'll stand. 
And as I lead you to stand in just a few moments, we'll have some counselors at the front. And I'm gonna encourage you today, instead of walking out and going about your day, linger for a few moments. Talk. Ask someone to pray with you. Ask someone to help you think through whether your heart is fully devoted to God because His eyes roam to and fro throughout the earth looking for those to whom He can show Himself faithful. Father, in Jesus' name today, we thank You for these moments. Thank You so much for Your Word. Father, I pray about the decisions that people may be making today, the decisions, the thoughts in their heart. Today, I ask You to let us walk away today knowing that we're doing all You've called us to do, to come to You, to trust You with our lives, with our future. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.